Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning in verse 5 to the end of verse 13. When he had entered Capernaum, the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to Thee, Lord Christ. Well, welcome back to the Christ Church Oceanside Podcast. Uh, it's Father Ryan here. And as I've been meditating on this passage, I can't help but really center my meditations on this one phrase. When Jesus heard this, He marveled. I think this is what I want more than anything. I want to marvel Jesus. And I want to be a part of a church that Jesus marvels at. So I think we have to ask the question today, what are the qualities that make Jesus marvel? Really, what are the qualities of a faith that makes Jesus marvel? And so today we're going to look at the man We only know by his rank, the centurion. Now, what's happening here is Jesus and the crowds are returning to Capernaum following the Sermon on the Mount and the healing of the leper. And they're met by a Roman centurion who comes to Jesus, not as a man in authority, but as a man appealing to authority, to Jesus's authority. And he says this, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
Now, whether this is due to some accident or sickness, we don't know. But it is suffering. But this servant is of such great value to the centurion, I think probably relationally, not just practically, that he throws off all pretense and throws himself down at the mercy of Jesus, even risking his livelihood and life by calling Jesus Lord. Because it's Roman state religion to hold Caesar as God, as divine. So to call Jesus Lord is to change, is to shift from this Roman state religion to now looking at Jesus as the source of true divinity. And by calling him Lord, he's making his desperation known. Now, the response of Jesus is instantaneous. I will come and heal him, he says. No rebuttal, no questions, no challenges. Just, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion replies, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is his response to Jesus saying, I'll come. So let's unpack the way the centurion sees himself, sees the world, and sees Jesus through this statement. The first thing that we see, in addition to him calling him Lord, is that he sees himself as not worthy. He's not worthy to have Jesus come under his roof. In our age, I think it's more common to see ourselves as deserving of Jesus' presence and intervention. I think entitlement is our culture's default, at least of our times here. Healing is my right. Wealth is my right. The presence of God is my right. The centurion, though, despite having a position of power and privilege, sees himself as unworthy of Jesus' presence and intervention. Why? It's a self-awareness that his righteousness or his goodness does not compare to Jesus. He can see his faults. He can see his mess. He can see the way he's living his life is not according to the goodness that's been proclaimed in the teaching on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. But the next thing that we see, even in the midst of his unworthiness, is he then says, say the word and my servant will be healed. He's, he's not confident in himself, but he is confident in Jesus confident in the power of Jesus. Now, in terms of why, why, like what evidence does this man have? I think there's a few key points. He sees Jesus the man. The goodness of him is a person. And through the Sermon on the Mount, we then see Jesus the teacher. So his goodness is coming out into a form that's like a vision that we all want to ascribe to. So Jesus, the man is good. His teaching is good. Plus now Jesus is the healer. So the the power that he wields towards other people, the way he uses power is not for personal gain, but for the benefit of others. 
And it leads to this conclusion that we can surmise that the centurion sees Jesus as God. Now, he doesn't have the words for this, but he's seen Jesus as the true-born king over everything, not just politically, but spiritually, physically, personally. Jesus has the power over the real important stuff, and Jesus can do what Caesar cannot. And he articulates it in his own way of thinking, in his own language here, based on his own culture, with these words. For I, too, am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is the grid he sees Jesus through. The centurion sees sickness, disease, human brokenness, etc., as having the potential to come under the authority and control of Jesus. The situation he's in with his servant isn't currently under Jesus' power, but he sees that Jesus can conquer the problem with a word. When Jesus hears this, he marvels. Where the crowds were astonished with Jesus' teaching, now Jesus is marveling at true faith. This is the right response to right teaching. True faith. So here's the faith that we see modeled by the centurion, the kind or the quality of faith. And I think this is important because faith is hugely misunderstood in our culture and our time. It's this idea that you believe in stuff you can't see. But in reality, what we see in the New Testament stories is people are having faith in Jesus, who is real and factual, historically present a reality, and they're bringing their very real personal problems and trusting in Jesus to work for them. This is the kind of faith that we're talking about, real faith. And so there's a few pieces I think we see in this story that the centurion models for us. The first is vulnerability. This guy shows up honestly, from the heart, and with real specific need. Right? It's not this general, oh, I like this ideology, I like the feel of this. I'm looking for some spirituality to add to my life. Like He is coming vulnerable. He's coming with real need, and it's really personal. So this is the real guy. It's not his office, even though Matthew tells the story as this is just a man with a rank. The man's coming with a real heart and a real problem and real needs from his real home. The next thing we see is humility. Like when he stands before God the Redeemer, he sees clearly that he's undeserving. It's not that he deserves this. He's appealing to the character of Jesus. And so not just the power of Jesus, but the character of Jesus, which is merciful, loving gentle with people's needs. This is what he's appealing to. And so his humility is going, I actually don't have solutions. I've got real problems here. My role, my rank, my privilege is unhelpful. And I lay it all down to trust in you. So it's vulnerable, it's humble, and it's submissive. Because when you see true goodness and ultimate strength, you trust it. 
It needs to be bigger than you in order for it to save you. So you can't seek to control it or twist it or change it or manipulate it or edit it. You really just got to accept it. And I think this is where we really tend to get it wrong in our time and our generation and our culture is that we view Jesus as something that we will edit or change or make him accommodate to us. But in reality, it's the us that needs saving. And the only one who can save it is someone bigger than us, bigger than me, more authority than me, who knows it better than me and more wisdom than me. And so I have to submit to that, trust it. It's like going to a surgeon for heart surgery and going, here's how I want you to do this. And the surgeon's going, uh, how about you go to sleep and I do the work? It's similar with Jesus. We do not have power over him. We need him to have power over us, and we need us to be able to trust that power. And this is the last, I think, key point. So he's got vulnerability, humility, submission, and lastly, confidence. This guy's not half-hearted. He is all in on this. It's not experimental for him. He's going, I see that you're enough. And so I give you all of me to trust in all of you. Just say the word. Because I know you can do what you say you're going to do. That is fantastic. I'm way too half-hearted, too often. But he's going all in. If you are who you say you are, if you can do what you say you can do, if your power matches your character, then I'm all in. Here's all my chips. Jesus is amazed by it and openly enjoys it. He's openly enjoying it. So that I think... That is profound to me to see Jesus go, no, I love this. I love this. That we see Jesus express emotion of marveling, enjoying, finding it fantastic. And the place that we see Jesus do this is for faith. True, saving faith. This is what Jesus loves. Now, on the flip side, though, he then compares it to the quality or lack thereof of the faith that he has found so far within Israel. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus sees the centurion and those like him, Gentiles, non-Jews, who were once enemies and threats to Israel, through their true faith, coming to recline and eat at his table with the patriarchs. I don't have the words to describe what a massive statement this is for Jesus to proclaim in the context of Israel. To say that this Roman centurion, because he believes in Jesus, has a place to sit next to Abraham, is would blow the minds of the people of Israel to hear this statement. Like that just seems like the most wild idea in the world. And I can't come up with an example to give us a frame of reference for that. I really can't. 
But what it is, is it's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that God would bless the world and all its peoples through his seed. Jesus is that blessing to the Gentile world, that the nations from east and west would stream to God through Israel, through Jesus. All of these Old Testament prophecies are riddled through the Pentateuch, the prophets, the Psalms. All these promises and prophecies are fulfilled here in and through Jesus. So what about Israel, though? Well, Jesus is saying, if they, if the people of Israel do not likewise have a faith such as this centurion, then the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus doesn't mince words and remember his clarity, his kindness. Faith is the key here. We need true saving faith in the person and work of Jesus to participate at his table. And those who are born into it, whether in Israel or in the church, or those who have grown up hearing it and knowing all about it, can spout off the Bible verses, can know the catechism. But without that personal saving faith, Jesus says they'll be thrown out. That it's not a game here. That it, and and it's, it's not cultural. It's not familial. It's not intellectual. It is from the heart that true faith has to come. Because without true faith in Jesus, you're rejecting it. You're going, I actually don't need it. I don't need him. I'm good on my own. I'm a sufficient God for myself. I'll save my own problems. And I'll determine what is right and what is good. And where that leads to is weeping and gnashing of teeth in darkness. Because that's the world we create with our independence, with our selfishness. And it's no joke. And Jesus isn't, Jesus is just saying, you get what you wanted. But the food at my table is grace. It's help. It's life. It's gift. And if you claim to have all those things, then you don't need to eat here. And you have no place here. So the people of Israel and the Christian church today must allow themselves to become vulnerable from the heart, humble in self-awareness, and Christ-exaltedness. Become low and see him high and be truly submissive to the will of God and confident in the saving power of Jesus. Now, as much as I grieve when I encounter a Christian that does not exhibit the qualities of true faith, I must also always remember that it's not my place to make this judgment for anyone, but instead to be looking for these things in my own heart. Only Jesus is qualified to determine who shall sit at his table, for only he knows the heart of any woman or man. Now, where this ends is with good news. The good news is this, that for the one who does allow themselves to be vulnerable, humble, 
submissive, and confident in the saving power of Jesus. He has the will, the desire to save. And Jesus has the power to do his will, to do what he promises and what we so desperately need. Jesus can set a table in the midst of a world at war and transform the hearts of enemies into the hearts of siblings. And to say to those who come in faith, looking for real intervention from God and healing, to say, this is my problem, and I know, I know that if you say the word, you can help me. Jesus gives this answer. Go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. At the heart of this whole story is the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is to marvel, to, per to personally enjoy and fulfill true faith. True faith. A faith that is vulnerable, humble, submissive, and ultimately trusting in him. This is the faith that Jesus marvels at and fulfills. To the one who will trust in him, Jesus will show himself trustworthy.